Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The Bible says one of the seven things that God hates is a proud look. And that is that God is on the side of the humble, but he is against the prideful. I believe that we cannot become too humble. I don't think it's possible. Become as humble as you can and then become even more humble. Because the Bible tells us that God's on the side of the humble. And I want God on my side. The Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. In 1 Peter 5, God calls leaders and those who are under them to be humble and to submit to authority. When a leader humbles himself and becomes a true servant, he sets an example to all to be more like Jesus, who was perfectly humble. With 1 Peter 5, 5 through 14, and a great lesson for all leaders in the church, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you for your word. It really is powerful. We believe that by approaching your word with a heart of anticipation and expectation, that you are going to do a work inside of us. That if we believe you and take what you say here to heart, we want to live the way you want us to live. And we want to have an understanding as to what is here. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through the end of the chapter, Peter closes out the book. He started off chapter 5 talking to the elders, those who were spiritually mature, those who were older, who um, were not novices, who taught the word to them, encouraging them how they should care for the flock that really belongs to Jesus, that was really entrusted to, to leaders. And now he turns to younger men and he gives some direction to them. In fact, I think here it says in verse 5, it says to um, likewise you younger people. Uh, literally what it says is like, likewise you younger men. He's kind of like straightening out the young guys. I think they just wanted to make it seem more, you know, people instead of just, just men. When I was a young Christian, I, I came to know the Lord in the Methodist church and uh, the guy that led me to the Lord ended up getting fired because he was leading high schoolers to Christ. I was only 14 years old when I invited Jesus into my life. And um, then there was no one in the church to really teach us about Christ until the following year when another youth pastor came in just for the summer, a guy by the name of Bill Hubbard. And Bill began to teach through the Bible. In fact, he took me a little bit under his wing and he began to show me how to study the Bible, not just studying the Bible, but how to study the Bible. And I began to go to Hosanna Tape Library. Do you guys remember that here? Any of you ever go when it was here? It was back in the days of, it was back in the days when we had these things called cassettes. We, I went and I started checking out two different people because they taught all the way through the Bible. One of them was Pastor Chuck Smith and the other one was Dr. J. Vernon McGee, may I say to you, my friends. And I began to listen through the Bible with these guys. I learned a lot so that when I left the Methodist church, and began to go to a church that I think God had called me to. I think God called it to me because that's where I met Lisa, by the way. That's where I, I met my wife. But it was a bizarre, little, charismatic church. When I say bizarre, folks, I don't mean they just raised their hand and talked in tongues a little bit. We walked over people to get into the building. There were people passed out in the spirit. They did something called the birthing of the bride where they would get more and more excited in worship and then it would calm down. Then, and then we'd get mad, and made these noises. And I don't know what we were birthing, but it was 
I don't know what birthing of the bride was really all about. But there was some bizarre stuff. And I began to argue with him about tongues. And I think I've shared this with you before that we had gone to Denny's after the church service and some gal had interrupted the, the pastor. And I, uh, at Denny's, I said, you know, it's really out of line. The Holy Spirit's leading her as she teaches. And when they stand up and interrupt her, it's not good. And, and the girl began to argue with me. So she got her Bible out and I got my Bible out. We started having that, you know, biblical, spiritual battle going on. I really made my point, by the way, because the Bible does say, it says pretty clearly, if two or three or more of you are gathered together, then speak unto God and to yourself, because if an unbeliever comes in, they're going to think you're crazy. I mean, it says that. And it says, so speak to God and to yourself. So I made my point pretty strong. I was feeling pretty smug about myself, by the way. And afterwards, an older guy said, hey, can I talk to you? We were leaving. And I said, sure. And I went out and he said, um, hey, listen, I just wanted to say that, first of all, about tongues, you're right. What you said in the passage, you're right, right on the nose. And then he goes, but you couldn't be more wrong. He was older, like, like I said, about 40. <laughs> it's all perspective, isn't it? But then he went on to show me a couple of scriptures. He goes, let me just show you a couple of things. And he showed me specifically 1 Timothy, where it says, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, correcting those who are in opposition. It was like somebody had just kind of slapped me across the face. And I had to learn, you know, that if I was going to be someplace, then I needed to learn how to submit to them. I needed to learn how to be at a place to submit to that authority. And sometimes that's a difficult thing to do because we don't like the word submit. It's used several times here in, in 1 Peter. And I love the first time that he uses it where he says, verse 13 of chapter 2, Therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme. So the first thing he says is submit to authority. We understand that. We do that. You're going down the road. It's 45 miles an hour. You're doing 55. And a police officer pulls up to a road. You know, he's going to turn onto the same road with you. And you hit your brakes. I've learned over the years. I used to just kind of like when I was younger, I would like to tap on him so that the cop wouldn't know that I'm slowing down. But then you learn he probably already knows how fast you're going anyway, right? So what I do is show him that I'm scared to death. And I slam on my brakes. I let the front of my truck just dive forward. A cop. So that he could kind of, kind of smile at me. I've had him kind of wag their finger at me as I go by after I slam on the brakes. Much better than making him think I didn't. The other day I'm going down the road. And I don't know what I, I thought I was doing the speed limit. I really did think I was doing it. I'm not just like the scofflaw out there speeding everywhere. If you see a white truck driving around really fast, it wasn't me. And I'm going down the road and I'm driving and, I'll, and a car comes up and paces me and I look over and it's a sheriff's truck. I look over at him and he goes, which was 45. That's what he's telling me, 45. And I nod my head and he drives on. <laughs> and I look down and I slow down. <laughs> I have no problem submitting to a police officer. When I see them, I want them to know that I am submitting to them. When I get pulled over to buy them, I am the nicest person. I want to try to talk myself out of the ticket. I got a thing going. I want to, if I can talk myself out of it, if I can be, a, do you know how fast you were going? Yes, I do. I was going 12 miles an hour over. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I want to try to, I want to be as submissive as I can. When we start talking about submission, especially to, to wives, to husbands, all of a sudden then there's problems. I even listened to a tape today on this particular section where the guy used dogs as an example of submission. Probably the worst example that you could use. <laughs> and he talked about how a dog, when it submits to another dog, when there's an alpha dog and a dog submits to it, the dog will roll over and bare its neck to the other dog. As if you and I, in submitting to one another, are to roll over. Okay, go ahead. 
Go ahead. I'm, I am now submitting unto you. Go ahead and, and attack me. I love that it goes on to say here, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. All of you be submissive to one another. It's not just a matter of someone being under the authority of someone else and recognizing a God-given authority and saying it's, it's not a matter of someone not being approachable or not being able to be corrected because everybody, everybody needs to be corrected from time to time. The Bible says if a man doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man and everybody's going to say something wrong. Everybody's going to get the wrong idea. There are things over the years that I have changed my mind about with the scriptures because I've learned more or somebody showed me something else that's in the scriptures. So for anybody to have the pride and think, you know what, I'm a leader. I'm a leader within the church. I'm an elder and nobody better ever tell me what to do. Nobody ever better ever correct me. It's such a wrong idea. In fact, the Bible says, be like the Bereans that receive the word of God with all joy, but then search the scriptures daily to see if those things were true. And I'll tell you, when you guys come up and go, you said this, but it says this over here. Sometimes, to be quite honest with you, it makes an awkward moment for me because I didn't consider that particular passage and realize that what I said wasn't correct. And it's a little awkward, but I like when you do it. I like it because I won't do it again. <laughs> I like it because I go, oh yeah, now I remember that passage and now that really helps with what's going on. Everybody needs to be corrected and there's no person who's above that. So the idea of submitting to one another is so important. In fact, can you just turn back a few pages and get to the book of James? It's the book right before 1 Peter. Go to chapter 3. In verse 13, he's a little bit sarcastic when he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? And, and you get that when you read chapter 3 of the book of James in context. James is he's basically saying, You guys think you're wise? You guys think you're understanding? You guys think you know it all? Well, then here's what you need to do. He says, who is wise and understand him? Let him show by good conduct that the works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy or self-seeking in your hearts, if you're envious towards what someone else has, if they're self-seeking in your heart, you do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, that is the wisdom that you think you have, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. So he's talking about differences and fractions and fights that are taking place in the churches during the days of James. So in verse 17, he says this, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable. So it's, it's first pure. It's a first to pure wisdom. It's not self-seeking. It's not trying to indulge itself. It's just pure wisdom. Second, it's peaceable. If we begin to talk and we get contentious with one another. Not that we can't disagree on things, but it turns into contention. Then one of us isn't walking in wisdom. You and I ought to be able to talk about something that we disagree on and get along while we're doing it. The wisdom of God is first pure, then it's peaceable. And I love this, gentle and willing to yield. Willing to yield. And a good leader, a good leader in the church, a good pastor teacher, knows how to yield, not only knows how to lead, but also knows how to yield, understands that other people have ideas that are better than his ideas and needs to yield to them and that we all need to yield to one another. If you husbands don't understand that about your wives, if you say, no, I'm the man, I make all the decisions. Having my wife in submission to me means 
I say what she does and she does it. I say jump and she says how high. And you poor man have a lot of problems in your life because it's not about that. Leading is simply leading. You're going on together and you're leading the way as Christ loved the church and died for the church. And so the, the submission is to be a, a submission that comes from our hearts willing to yield. When we first started the church, we had a rule and I thought it was a good rule when we started it, that the board of the church, whenever we made a decision, it would have to be unanimous. Everybody on the board would have to agree. We had to rewrite the, the bylaws that we were using as a stencil for our bylaws in order to do that. And it sounds good. But the problem was, is it gave everybody 100% of power. Because if I didn't like what somebody wanted to do, then I could just disagree with them. We also had a rule back then, and we've changed that since then, because today we've got a certain amount that I could spend without getting board approval. I can spend a few hundred dollars without getting board approval. But back then you had to board approve everything. And so we wanted to go downtown and do a downtown outreach at a bar that was down there. It was cost $25 for us to do it. So we, we, uh, we, in the agenda, said we need $25 a week to go down and do this outreach. And it turned into this huge argument because one of the guys didn't want to do it. In fact, it was really bad. It was like really bad. And finally, I just said, you know what? It's $25. I'll pay for it myself. So just forget it. Just, you know, mark it down as refused. I'll pay for it myself. And uh, when I got the bylaws, it had been changed to approved because the, the guy who disapproved was the same guy that did the, you know, that wrote out the minutes for the meeting. And I had to call him and say, you can't do that. You can't just randomly change the bylaws. <laughs> we had a meeting. Everything has to go by what the bylaws say. Within a couple of years from that meeting, I started right then on a campaign on changing that rule, by the way, for unanimous. I wanted to get rid of it. A couple of years later, we finally did it. We finally got everybody on board to, to make it not unanimous, but just majority to be able to pass something. That was like 23, 24 years ago now. We have never had one decision at the church that wasn't unanimous because everybody is willing to yield. All of a sudden, it took the contentiousness out of it. When someone says, you know, I'm really not comfortable with that. Then the rest of us go, well, then let's, let's not do it. Let's wait until you're more comfortable. Let's talk about it the next meeting. Let's talk about it next time it comes up. And I found that when I give that to the board members, I find that they give it back to me. I find that they go, you know what? If you really feel strongly about it, ah, then we'll go ahead and do it. If you really feel strongly about it. And if I say to them and I show them respect and say, you know what? You don't feel comfortable doing this, so let's not do it. It just turned into something that we, through the wisdom of God, the real wisdom, are willing to yield. Real leaders know how to yield. When, when you have a, a there, there are a lot of bad pastors out there. There's a lot of bad pastors that lead poorly, a lot of them. And most of it is because of insecurities, quite frankly. They just feel insecure. And so, you know, anybody questioning them, they're threatened by that. But a pastor that's been placed there by God, who knows he's there by God, really doesn't have a problem when someone challenges him. Because you want to be willing to yield too. To know, hey, anybody can correct anybody. And look at what it says. It says, going back to 1 Peter, it says, uh, young men, likewise, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. If we put on a garment of humility, then we aren't saying, you know what? I'm in charge and therefore what I say goes. If we're clothed with humility because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble, God resists the proud person. You don't, you don't want God resisting you. The Bible says one of the seven things that God hates is a proud look. And that is that God is on the side of the humble, but he is against the prideful. 
I believe that we cannot become too humble. I don't think it's possible. Become as humble as you can and then become even more humble. Because the Bible tells us that God's on the side of the humble. And I want God on my side. In fact, he goes on to tell us something else about humility. He says in, in verse 6, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's, like, that's almost like drawing a picture. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because if you don't humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then God's going to humble you. D.L. Moody, no, I think it was G. Campbell Morgan, actually, who used to say, humble or stumble. Humble yourself or you're going to stumble. Humble or stumble. There is this sense of knowing that if I exalt myself, God's going to bring me down. And if I bring myself down, that God is the one who exalts. It says in verse six, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Jesus took a portion of this when he sat down with the rabbis. Remember when he was at their house and they rushed to the table to take the best seat and he sat down in the worst seat. He said, when you're invited over to someone's house, don't take the best seat, but take the worst seat. When you're, so that when you're invited up, everyone can see it. So our desire, our desire is not that God would exalt us as individuals, but our desire is that God would be exalted. His glory would be exalted as we humble ourselves before the Lord. I also never pray, God humble me. Because to me, that is probably the most frightening prayer you could ever pray. Whenever I've prayed, I probably have prayed it a couple of times, but I always correct it. Lord, and I just pray that you would humble me. I mean, Lord, help me to humble myself. Because I don't know that I want God humbling me. Maybe it would do good. Maybe it would be a good prayer. Maybe if God humbled me, I'd end up being a better person in the end. But Lord, just help me humble myself. <laughs> help me humble myself because it seems to me to be a lot easier to be humbled by, by myself than to have God humble me. But there's no problem with submission. If we humble ourselves, there's going to be no problem in a family, in a home, between a husband and a wife. If both are humble, if the husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church and, and, and God's able to do a work within them, humble yourself. He then changes the topics and gives us this one little verse, which is a great verse, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. One of my best friends has this verse on the motor on his boat. It's a fishing boat. It's a bass boat casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. But it's his favorite verse, not because it has casting on there and it's a play on it, but it's his favorite verse because this is a, I think it was Charles Swindoll who said that 1 Peter 5, 7 is a pillow for the hurting soul. There's just something comfortable about this verse. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Just something so comforting about the fact that we have a God who really does care for us and that we can take anything that we are struggling with and we can cast it before him. It reminds me of Philippians chapter four, where it says, be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which guards your heart and mind will be given to you. God will give you a peace that will guard your heart and mind. You got cares now, the cares of this world maybe worrying about children or grandchildren. You know, when you have a baby, immediately you lose sleep. My son's about to have his, his first boy. And I looked at him now and I said, you getting any sleep now? Because you should get it now. There's a time coming, you're not going to get much sleep. As tough as newborn babies are, 
you, you lack sleep and they're crying all the time and you got to change their diaper as, as tough as they are, they're nothing compared to adult children. Nothing. <laughs> I'd rather have to change a diaper over and over again than deal with adult children because you worry about them so much. I have to cast my cares. I'm going to take all three of my children are out now. They're gone. They're, they're out doing their own thing. And I find myself worrying about them, coming back to God and saying, okay, everything with prayer and supplication. Lord, I lift up my kids. So casting all of your cares, whatever it is you might be worried about today that you can cast upon him and know that they are taken care of because God cares about you. God cares about you. He wants the best for you. All things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, he, he moves into a section now, verses 8 and 9, and he is wrapping the book up now. He's kind of wrapping up where we are, and he wants to remind us that we have a very real enemy, and we need to be watchful because the enemy's looking for someone who he can destroy. It says in verse 8, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, each one of these next verses could be taught on their own, could be their own message. Uh, be sober and vigilant. The word sober there means self-controlled and vigilant means watchful. Be self-controlled and be watchful. Realize that you have an adversary. There is someone who's against you. There's someone, what is an adversary? It's someone that's on the opposite side. It's someone that's trying to do the opposite of what you're trying to do. And so what are we doing? We're trying to shine as lights to a lost world. We're trying to live as salt in the earth. We're trying to go out and live for Jesus and, and, and go out and do the work that he wants us to do. We have an adversary that's trying to stop that. The Bible tells us, though, that we're going to be victor victorious. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And it might be scary. Lions weigh, they can get as big as 550 pounds. And lions are, you know, sometimes house cats can be vicious, right? <laughs> A lion, did you ever see the movie The Ghost in the Darkness? I think it had Val Kilmer and... Michael Douglas, right? I think. But it was about a true story about two lions, two male lions that ended up killing over 140 people that were working on a railroad. Two lions. They, it ended up killing people that went to hunt the lions. The lion ended up killing them. It was almost like they were possessed lions. And the interesting thing about these lions is they're, they were maneless. They were male lions, but they didn't have any manes. And I think they're in the, they're actually stuffed. They eventually killed them and they're in the Field Museum uh, in Chicago. But that'll give you some idea as to how powerful a lion is. That these two, their brothers, were able, if that's what you call lions who are siblings, these two brothers were able to kill 140 people. Now, but I will have you note this. It says, he walks about like a roaring lion. Doesn't say, he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He walks around like a roaring lion. One pastor said, he's a roaring lion because he doesn't have any teeth. He can't really seek his teeth into you. But I think that maybe, I understand what he's saying, but I think that maybe we ought to have a little more respect for the battle. A little more respect to understand that, that his schemes have been used for a lot of years. And if I'm not careful, his schemes will work against me. That's why it says, be self-controlled. Because if I'm not self-controlled, then I give the devil a place. And the Bible says, give no place to the enemy and watchful because I ought to be aware that the enemy wants to come after me and he's seeking who he can devour. If he can devour you, he's looking to be able to do that. But he's like a roaring lion because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
He is the lion. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.